And that is a chorus we will enjoy singing together for all of eternity. And it won't be long enough to sing his praises and his glory for all that he's done for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We do offer our praise to you because you are a glorious and wonderful and awesome God. That you would be so gracious as to give us your son who would die for us that we might have a relationship with you. Salvation, eternal life, freedom from sin and death. Oh God, we thank you for all that we have. And this morning we're grateful to be here together. We gather around the Lord's table shortly to hear from your word. Oh God, we pray that we would respond to your word appropriately this morning. And that is to apply it to our lives, to obey what you teach us, and to by your strength honor you and please you by living out your instructions to us. And so, Father, we ask you now to bless your word to our lives. I pray that we might be attentive to it and respond to it as we ought. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Well, if you've had any sort of struggle inviting people over the years to church or to come to events like Christmas events or, or just in general to reach out to them with the message of the gospel, it is because the main obstacle, and you've had struggles with that, is because the main obstacle to human salvation is lordship. People generally will not have Jesus as Lord over them. And that's what salvation is. In fact, one of the main obstacles to Christian sanctification is lordship. There are many who would suggest that you can have Jesus as your Savior, but selectively as your Lord. I would submit if the Lord is at all selective, he's not Lord at all. In fact, the reality of discipleship includes the Lordship of Christ. We may have had some challenges as we've encountered the Word of God over the years, and certainly the teaching just before what we're going to look at today. We looked at relationships and responsibilities in the home, and I know that we had some vigorous discussion in our discipling communities. Feedback certainly came my way. But I want to remind us that, um, you know, people say, well, you know, pastor said this or pastor said that. I, I agree with pastor saying that or pastor saying this. If it's ever my opinion, you can, you're free to disagree. But when it's God's word, it becomes a matter of lordship. In, in the commission that Jesus gave to us, it was go make disciples, imperative. Baptize them, imperative. And teach them to obey, imperative, whatsoever things I've commanded you. So that's, that's the life, our lives as Christians in the, the, the Holy Spirit work of sanctification takes place as we submit to the Lord as Lord, as we submit to his word. That's what discipleship is. That's what discipling is. That's what we do together. So when we come to a text of scripture and we have God's word and we recognize that we have been rescued from 
sin and death by the Savior, we don't only want Jesus as our Savior, we want Jesus as our Lord. And that means we live a different way. And so today we're going to look at being saved to engage those who are not saved. What's the mission? What is our mission work as a believer? I want you to open up your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 2 to 6. And we're going to see there in the text that the Christian life is an intentional life. You and I are called to mission. That's why we were brought into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. And that mission is first in the home and then to everyone in our orb. Not only is the spiritually healthy way to live, being on mission, but it is the great commission way that we are called to live. So the text goes this way. Devote yourselves, verse 2, to prayer, being watchful and thankful And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is the word of God. So words like service and sacrifice and submission are often tough words to take until we understand that our lives have been bought with a price by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And he calls us to live a life of of he as Lord of our lives. And now we've almost, we're almost at the completion of this Colossian letter. And here, as we draw upon the end of it, the Apostle Paul talks to us, us about the mission that we have. What is, our, what is our mission to those who are still hardened to lordship? Our neighbors, our friends, our family, who are around us, who we have influence over. The lost. In other words... This section of scripture answers the question, what do you need to do to be intentional about the mission of belonging to the family of God? What do you need to do to be intentional about the mission of belonging to the family of God? There are two key things that are highlighted in this small section of scripture. I want to look at those with you for a few moments. But before we do that, before we launch into those two things, we need to get a grasp of our starting point, because when we're talking about mission, many of us uh, start to become a little uncomfortable and start to shift around in our chair a little and say, I'm, I'm, I'm not really comfortable with the mission that much. And there's a number of reasons for that, but let me remind you of what we've learned in Colossians, sort of in one small phrase that should help all of us with the uneasy feeling we might have about mission. And that is this. We are placed on a stable and a secure and a robust foundation of being given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. That's Colossians 2.10. 
We are operating, every one of us who know Christ, from a very stable and secure and robust foundation. The fullness of Christ dwells in each of us, and this Christ is the head over every power and every authority. That puts us in a very, very strong position to be on mission with Christ. And so we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to enter into this with any trepidation, wondering if we are going to be okay. We are more than okay through Christ Jesus. And so the first of the key things in this intentional life is this. Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer because you need all the divine help you can get. That's the truth. This idea of devote is a present command. It's an ongoing thing. It means continually be passionately engaged in prayer. Make it the consistent warp and woof of your life. That's what it means, prayer. And, and um, we are calling out here to the, to the sovereign God. We are, we are invited. When we, when we came to know Christ, we were invited into this relationship of having instant communication with Almighty God, the sovereign God over the, of the universe. And the sovereignty of God, beloved, both guarantees the success of the mission he's called us to and highlights to us the essential need that we call out to him because if the mission is to be successful, it will only be successful through God who is sovereign. Those who have struggles with God being sovereign need to understand this. Without, the sover- without sovereign God, there can be no success in the mission. And so we call out to him. We're to be devoted to him in prayer. Prayer, what kind of prayer? Prayer in the sense of mission. Prayer that both the messenger and the recipient of the good news might be made ready for the work of God in their lives and in their hearts. That I might be made ready and that whoever I'm going to approach might be made ready to respond to God. Your spiritual fitness is directly proportionate to the consistency of your prayer life. As I said to the first service, although I butchered it massively, what I, what I really learned in a deep dive this week that I hadn't really thought about so much before is that not only is our consistency in Scripture a matter for, of our growth, but our consistency in prayer is joined to that. And if you are the kind of person who just prays out of need when you feel like you need to pray, you are missing out in the growth work that God wants to do in your life through prayer. The two disciplines of consistent prayer and consistent scripture are how God grows each one of us. The consistency to that. Persistence. If we neglect either word or prayer or only do either of them sort of on command performance whenever we feel like we might need it, we are going to fall behind spiritually. We're going to be spiritually short of breath. We talk about here as one of our essentials is prayer is the air we breathe. 
Scripture is the breath of God to us that we inhale. Prayer is our breath to God that he inhales. It is how we join in this life-giving work of the Spirit in our lives. But he says, and so he says here that this devotion to prayer should be characterized in three different ways. One way is it should be watchful. We need, to, we need to pray watchfully because sin is always seeking to pounce on you. This is why you can't be the kind of person who prays on sort of a need basis because you never know. You don't know what you're going to need and you don't know when you're going to need it. In Genesis 4, early in the Bible, Genesis 4, verse 7, when Cain was contemplating the idea of destroying his brother, it said, there, it said in the text there that sin is waiting to pounce on you. Sin is waiting, it desires to have you. Sin waits to pounce on you. Temptation lurks opportunistically. There's also the problem of spiritual laxity that can creep into your life. It's imperceptible until a crisis shows up and then you realize how far behind you are spiritually. You can't let yourself get behind. Stay active in the spiritual gym of word and prayer and worship. That's why Jesus said to his disciples on that night in Gethsemane when he was going to go to the cross, stay here and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is Weak. Be constant in prayer. And then we're to pray not only watchfully, but we're to pray thankfully. Being grateful infuses hope when life pressures dishearten. Life has a way of taking a toll on us. And we can get very disheartened. And not only that, but the the people that we face or the people that, that, that God wants us to be on mission uh, toward uh, sometimes uh, are uncooperative, shall we say. Sometimes they're not very good to us. And it can cause us to, to lose our passion and our heart for them at all. We, we lose a concern for their heart. If we are grateful in prayer, thankfulness preserves our lives. People can cause you not to want to care for their souls, but when we are grateful in prayer, we are reminded of how gracious God has been to us. Each of us were once lost. Each of us were once resistant or annoying or causing people difficulty, and yet God graciously reached into our lives, and so our gratitude for what we have received in Christ will help us in our thankfulness to, to continue on mission. Grateful to God for what he has done for us. It rekindles our care for people when we think about how much God has cared for us and is caring for us. We don't give up. And the third imperative here is missional. See what he says? And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. Being grateful, or, or mission work is divine work that, that faces forceful opposition in complex circumstances. Paul talks here about um, the, the message that I, I proclaim, the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. 
Mission work is difficult. It's, it's a challenging. And we have to ask God to open doors. People are closed to the message of God unless God himself goes before us and opens it up. Don't think that you can go out and take a ticket in hand and invite people to the Christmas program and they're going to just sit in waiting for you to invite them to church. They're not waiting for you to invite them to church. They're hoping you won't invite them to church. Especially your family who already know. You've already told them so many times. They're wondering. They know this time of the year. They're thinking, oh, I hope they don't call me. I have to come up with an excuse. Let's book every night for this week. Do something. You've got to pray for an open door. Pray for an open door. Because people who are dead in their trespasses and sins, those whose minds and eyes are closed, will only be opened by the divine keyholder himself. And prayer to God infuses conviction that it is worth it because you will face opposition. People will make it difficult for you. They do that. Paul's in prison. We're left wondering here at, at the wisdom of God incarcerating in prison the greatest evangelist the world has ever known, the Apostle Paul. Why would you put him in jail? Yet if it were not for God's great wisdom to have incarcerated the Apostle Paul in so many jail scenarios whereby he had to take the time to reflect on all of his theological training and his relationship with Christ and jot it down in letters to churches, where would we be 2,000 years from then? In the wisdom of God, we have the letters of Paul that have been used to bring countless millions of people to Christ. God's open doors are regularly different than the open doors you might think. God can work in imperfect settings where you think, oh, this could never work. This will never, never happen. And God causes it to happen. Because imperfect settings to God might be just the right setting that he wants to use. So pray. Take them up on it. Take opportunities as you ought, right? Pray that I may pr proclaim it clearly as I should. So the first key is prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. We've got to be praying. If we're on mission people, we've got to be praying all the time. It's got to be a part of our lives. Like we eat food. The second is this. Since you are never not a Christian, act accordingly with wisdom in the presence of those who don't know Jesus. If how we live, if how we act, if how we behave, if how Christianity plays out in our lives, in the audience of people who don't know Jesus, offers no discernible upgrade... it is highly unlikely that we will be effective as a messenger of God. The upshot of what Paul is teaching here is be wise in the way you act 
to outsiders. Who are outsiders? Outsiders are people who don't know Jesus Christ. Be wise how you act before outsiders. We live, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know, in a very lost mission field, don't we? You out there, day after day, are operating in a very, very lost mission field. And people um, in Canada are not ignorant of the existence of Christianity. Reminders are all over the place. There's churches on every block. They're not unaware or ignorant of the existence of Christianity, but they are decidedly hardened against it. In a time that is unique in our country. Entirely different than any time since Confederation. We have... I would submit a much more difficult mission than our parents or grandparents had in these days. Which means we need to heed very carefully what we're being taught here. The difference, I think, the drastic and most obvious difference, I think, is this, that the shapers of our culture have gone to war against Christianity, which is something new for us. So what do we need to do in that context? There's four quick things here. The first is this. It says in the text, make the most of every opportunity. Opportunities are rarer and rarer, so make the most of every opportunity. Urgent, be urgently opportunistic. Christianity at best is adding people to the church. Jesus is adding people to the church, but be honest, we are more about subtracting. The church is actually shrinking in North America while the world is multiplying in population. And the simple math of this, for any of you who are math whizzes, is adding will not keep up with multiplying. And for sure, subtracting won't. I was, I, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who, when I drive down the 401, I look at the population of every city I go by. I don't know, it's just my thing. How many people live in that city? Oh, wow, we're bigger than them. It's probably a competitive thing with me. But anyway, in, I, I note, I've noticed recently that Oshawa's up, updated their population sign. Have you noticed? Have any of you noticed? Most of the people in the first service are just staring at me like, we don't look at the population sign. Well, if you do look at it, you will notice that not long ago it said 166,000 people. If you drive out in the 401 today, coming into Oshawa, it'll say 176,000 people in Oshawa, upgraded by 10,000 people. That's a 6% increase. If my math is right, and I know many of you will check me out, especially Will, he's probably going to check it out. <laughs> here's, the, here's the sorry reality. Oshawa's population has gone up 6%. Calvary's attendance has gone down 10%. We're going in the wrong direction. 
at very least, if we were just keeping up, if we were just keeping up, Calvary should be up 6%. Is it because we aren't acting wisely before outsiders? Are we blowing it as Christians? I, I don't know. Is it, is it because we aren't asking for opportunities? We're not asking the Lord to open doors? Is that what it is? Is it because we aren't opportunistic when the opportunity presents itself? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to the question. I do know the numbers are not encouraging. As far as the mission goes, are, are we spiritually ready? Are we as the church spiritually ready for, for uh, gospel opportunities? Do you know your story? The story of you and Jesus. That's the most important story you have. Do we understand that our lost neighbors, our lost friends, and our lost family are one split second away from hell? Do we understand that? Do we believe that? That is why we need to be urgently opportunistic. But we're also called to be gracious. See what it says here? Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Some of us think that you can't be kind to lost people or you will probably be compromising the truth. We think we have to be, we think we have to mistreat her. Well, we think we have to be kind of stern with or stay away from or, or, um, or be uh, aghast and appalled at the way they're living. As one writer put it, you can't ridicule people into the kingdom. They're lost. When we encounter people who um, are, are maybe on the street and they say to us, you know, I, I don't know where so-and-so street is. Can you help me find that? We don't want to mistreat them or treat them poorly or start ridiculing them because they're lost and they don't know where they are. What's wrong with you? You should know this. We, we offer them directions with grace. And so it is with the gospel here, Paul saying, you need to be full of grace as we respond. If Jesus taught us anything, he taught us this, that he came full of grace and truth. You don't have to surrender either. John 1.14. We'll never, we're never going to trade truth for grace. That's not what we're called to do. That's not what Paul's calling us to do. He's calling us to be gracious and truthful. To treat people with kindness. So we're not to be ungracious, but we're also not to be so gracious that we dare not upset someone who's on their way to hell. 
And maybe that's why people aren't coming to church or the Lord, because we'd rather avoid the offense of asking them or inviting them. Say, well, I don't want to risk that. Listen, ask. Ask people. When, if you're praying for opportunity, you have no idea whether God has made someone ready. He may have made this person ready to respond and to receive what you have for them. We have good news to share with people who live in a bad news world, who live in your bad news neighborhood, who live in your bad news workplace, who live in extended family relationships with you that are full of bad news, and we are carriers of good news. It isn't a great opening line, would you be interested in some good news today? Who's going to say no to that? Except your family who knows what's coming. They've heard that line before. But your neighbor probably hasn't. They'll say yes. And then you can talk to them in a way that's seasoned with salt. That's the third. To be spicy. Seasoned with salt because we're promoting abundant life. What does this mean, salty? It's a figure of speech. It was a figure of speech then. It's a figure of speech now as well, but it's the opposite now to what it meant then. If you say someone's speech is salty right now, you're kind of like, hey, I can't watch that show. But, but salty then was not full of bad words. It was actually just the opposite. It was how the Holy Spirit has now built into our lives flavor and zest and we're, we're, we're to be people who are sparkling and witty and clever and interesting. We have a very interesting story. Our story of conversion is very interesting. People say, oh, my story's not interesting. Your life with Jesus Christ is a very interesting story. He's rescued you. He's saved you. He's forgiven you. He's changing you. You were this, and now you're becoming that. These are, these are mind-blowing, heart-changing things that are very interesting to people. We're to produce a taste. That's what salt does. It, it's, it produces a taste, and it produces a thirst. Of all people, Christians should not be boring. We have a a story that should bring people, should create a thirst in people. We, we speak what's wholesome and without corruption. The, the people who are out there who don't know Jesus Christ are afraid that if they come to the Lord, their life will become boring. And sadly, too many of us do not change their mind on that. We're to not be boring they live in a world that's wearisome and worrisome and anxious and dreary and lackluster, downright boring people living boring lives. And then it ends. You know, the godliest people I know are exciting people. They're zesty people. They're full of life. They have zip and they're adventuresome and they're active and ready to go and ready to live. After all, is, didn't the Lord give us abundant life? Isn't that, what we are, isn't that what we are on mission to share with people and to show people? Christ has given us life and given it to us abundantly. 
it needs to show forth in our lives. We need to be people of, of encouragement and excitement and, and, and thrilled with every day, living life to its fullest. This, this draws an, a, an audience of people in a world that's so discouraging. We're calling people to abundant life out of our abundant living. We are spicy sea people. If you're a Raptors fan, you ever heard of spicy pea? Well, we're spicy sea. Pastor Kelvin. Spicy sea, don't forget it. That's who we are, spicy Christians. Calvary needs to be, we need to be spicy CC. Spicy Calvary Christians. I could go on, but I won't. <laughs> I, I dare not go too far off notes. It's a bad idea. And then finally this. We're to know how to answer everyone. And you're, I know what you're thinking right now. You're saying, that's what I'm afraid of. That's what I'm afraid of. I, I don't know how to answer everyone. Yes, you do. Yes, you do in what Paul is talking about here. We need to know how to answer everyone. So the point here is we need to be ready to listen to their questions and not just come with some sort of canned performance answers. We need to be culturally and theologically savvy, yes, but the one writer puts it correctly. People are their questions. The roadblock and obstacle between Christ and people are their questions. You say, I, I, you still haven't got me because I'm, I'm not sure I can answer their questions. Stay with me, listen. I, I want to build a, a quick case with you here. They have different questions than many of us were trained to answer from Sunday school because we're living in an entirely different world. I know you're figuring this out, but we are living with people who have already witnessed lots of Christian high-profile failures. We are, we are ministering to people who, who believe that the moral requirements of the Bible are going to hurt them. We are ministering to people who are, are believe, believe that the moral requirements of the Bible might divide them, might exclude that, some people. We're, we're ministering to people who have questions about their feelings and about their perceptions. Because the world that we live in now is first about feelings and perception before it ever even considers truth. And we are people of the truth. How are we going to build the bridge of this mission to people that are so far away from even how we think, or most of us think, These are people who are not thinking logically anymore because logic doesn't seem to be fair. They're not thinking rationally anymore because rational may not be freeing. 
They're not thinking reasonably anymore because reason might be harmful. They, they used to stay away from Christianity because it, well, it seemed too old-fashioned. Now they're staying away from Christianity because it seems dangerous to them. They, they used to stay away from Christianity because they would have to become too moral. They are now thinking that Christianity is actually immoral. Do, do you understand the, 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 the size of the divide between how an average Christian is thinking and taught and how people who are lost are actually living and thinking? That may be why the population is up 6% and we're down 10%. I haven't given you the answer yet. I know you're waiting. What are we going to do? Listen. Listen first. Before you jump in. Learn something about the culture we're living in. Be spiritually ready and all prayed up. And then take them to Jesus as quickly as you can. It's a matter of saying, you know what, I don't have all of the answers to all of your questions. And, and, and I would suggest, don't even say, and, and I'll get back to you with the answers. I used to think that way. I think it's kind of lame now. Even though, you know, you can do that, and they may have some questions that you can get answers to. But take them to your relationship with Jesus Christ and tell them what Christ has done for you. I, I'm, I'm drawn to the story of the blind. With this, we'll close. I'm drawn to the story of the blind man who got, got sight from Jesus. And everybody was peppering him with questions. The great theologians were peppering him with questions that he couldn't answer. But he said this to them, and you all know what he said. I don't know all of this stuff you're asking me, but I know this. Once I was blind, and now I can see, and it's because of that man right there, Jesus Christ. There are no more questions when you go there. Jesus is the answer to the questions. Tell them your story about how Jesus has saved you, about how he has freed you, about how he has saved you from sin and how he has given you victory over temptation. These are the questions they're really asking. They just don't know how to ask them. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. That's the beginning of discipleship. And then, when Jesus rescues their heart, we together will teach them to obey whatsoever things Christ has commanded them and grow them in Christ. That's what Paul is calling for here. Beyond mission, divine dependency through prayer, plus wise Christian conduct as directed by the scriptures is a pattern for daily living that is intentionally missional. Jesus answers all of the hard questions about pain and hurt and harm and unfairness and discrimination and dangerous, uncaring lives 
with his grace, his love. He rescues, he changes. And he tells people, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden and weighted down, and I will give you rest. And I will not give you anything on your, in your life that I won't help you carry from this day forward. That's what Jesus offers. That's what people need. That's the message they need to hear. That's the answer to their questions. And you have it because you know him. You know how to answer everyone because you have Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. Our Father, I pray this morning that you will take this instruction and carry it into our hearts by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, cause it to come alive in our lives because we live with so much lostness around us and the days are short and shorter and we need to reach people for Christ. Thank you for the mission you've entrusted to us. And oh Lord, as we think about this week and the, the grand responsibility and opportunity that, that sits before us, let us make the most of every opportunity. This may be the last Christmas for many people that we could invite. I pray, O oh God, that we might ask people this Christmas season to come and know our Lord Jesus as their Savior too. For I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we live, brothers and sisters, a life of proclamation. That's the mission, to proclaim the goodness of Christ. 50 plus years ago, most of Canadian society had some sort of interaction with Christianity. A significant one. Prayed the Lord's Prayer and knew the holiday realities and all that went with Christianity. And when someone who claimed to be a Christian was living out of step with Christianity, most of the people, even who were lost, knew that wasn't, that's not an example of true Christianity. That's not the way it is today. The people who live around us know nothing about Christianity, except what they see in the lives of Christians. We need to understand that the first impression that anyone may have of Christianity is you or me. And they live in a world of perception and feeling. And their perception and feeling of Christianity is based on what they see in us. So, what are they seeing in you? And are you praying passionately for opportunities and to live a life of wisdom in front of, Christ, in front of lost people? Our Father, we commit ourselves to you today, to you, the word that you've shared with us by your grace. I pray, Lord, that we might live wisely before lost people. That we might be part of the process that you use to draw people to yourself. That they might come and hear the good news of Jesus and be saved. For I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.